All right, kids, it's time. Come on up. Come on up, guys. Find a spot to sit. Good to see everyone. All right, keep coming, keep coming. All right, good. Come on up, find somewhere to sit, guys. Okay, now in the Bible, God's people are often referred to as a specific type of animal. Do you know what animal that is that sometimes God's people are compared to? Go ahead, Leo. Yeah, sheep. Good job. So here, here's a little sheep. It's it's not mine, but it's one of my kids. I won't tell you. Okay, a sheep, yeah. All right. So last week, we started talking about elders in the church. We learned that God has given elders in the church for the good of God's people, for all of us, right? And since God's people are oftentimes referred to as like sheep, Elders are compared to shepherds. Now, what is a shepherd? Yeah, somebody who keeps the sheep, somebody who takes care of the sheep, right? Watches over them and cares for them. And so uh, we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, it says that elders are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So knowing that elders are compared to shepherds can help us understand more of what an elder is supposed to be doing. And so I'm going to give you three things today, okay? Shepherds and elders, all right? The first thing is that shepherd is to lead the sheep, all right? Sheep aren't the smartest of animals. I've heard that they're kind of, kind of dumb. They aren't very intelligent, all right? And so they lead them where they're going, and they don't know what to do on their own. So they need a shepherd, and the shepherd helps lead them where they need to be. In a similar way, elders help lead God's people in their spiritual life. So shepherds lead, elders lead. Second thing shepherds do is feed and water the sheep, all right? Sheep aren't the smartest of animals. We said that, right? And so they sometimes don't know where the good food is. And so shepherds help take them to the good food and their places where they can drink good water. And a shepherd knows the best place for the sheep to get his good food and what they should be eating to keep them nice and healthy. In a similar way, uh, elders help God's people feed spiritually on God's Word, on the Bible. They teach the Bible in a variety of ways. And so shepherds feed and elders feed spiritually God's Word. The third thing that shepherds do is protect the sheep, right? Sheep aren't very fast, and they aren't very strong either, and some other animals could come and attack them and cause them harm, right? And so the shepherd watches for danger. The shepherd keeps an eye out looking for danger, making sure that no danger comes to those sheep. And if danger does come, the shepherd fights off that danger in order to protect the sheep and keep them safe. In a similar way, elders protect God's people from spiritual harm. Spiritual harm could come from people who try to teach things that aren't true, that aren't uh, according to God's Word, teach false things. Harm could also come from those who want to divide the church and cause harm to God's people in that way. And so shepherds protect and elders protect. So there's probably other things we could come up with or think of that shepherds do, but those are the three main things. So shepherds and elders lead, shepherds and elders 
feed and shepherds and elders protect. So what do you think? Are shepherds really important for the sheep? Yeah, they are, aren't they? Are elders really important for the church, God's people? Yes, very much so. So Pastor Jeremy's going to come and preach more to us about elders. Thanks, thanks for coming up, guys. You can go back and have a seat. That's your first applause, I think. Yeah. Uh, two things from that. We have some really smart kids who know Scripture. And two, Marcus, I'm pretty sure that's your stuffed animal. Yeah. All right, uh, we are in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38. Began a series last week looking at four Sundays on shepherds. Last week was sort of the beginnings of eldership in Scripture from the book of Exodus. This week on what a shepherd is to do, what's a, an elder for, what's the calling, what's the work. And next week we'll look at the potential temptations and failings of elders before we conclude the following week. So shepherd, um, what would you expect an elder to do uh, for members who aren't attending? Or what would you expect an elder to do if we observed a teenager repeatedly dishonoring his or her mom or dad? What would you expect an elder to do there? What do you think elders should do for the sheep who are healthy and growing and don't have any specific needs that are obvious? One of the curious things that's happened and has always, unfortunately, been a part of the church is that most people don't expect elders to do anything. They, they really don't. Maybe a phone call. But typically, the expectation of elders is that they just meet. They talk about stuff and pray a little bit. And, but they don't really get down in the mud they don't get involved in lives in specific areas unless it just becomes so big and so heinous that everybody sees it. And then what the church's hopes happen is the big bad sinner kind of just melts away and we move on. And so the expectation in the church of elders is in some ways biblical, but in other ways falls short of it. So all I want to do is try to fill in the gaps of that this week. And uh, Acts 20, 17 to uh, 38 does that for us. And so let's, uh, I hope you hear the reading of this word with faith. Here's Acts 20, 17 to 38. Now from Miletus, he called to Ephesus, or he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, 
I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which you obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my, to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Father, you have established the earth and it stands fast. Forever then, your word is firmly fixed. It endures to all generations. Your word is our delight. Your word gives us life. And so save us from false things, God. Help us to love your commands and live in accord with them. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that, um, it's a small thing that you might not be aware of, but there have been uh, among some of us the thinking that somehow the Apostle Paul kind of stole Christianity away from Jesus and took it in another direction. Um, this is a, an error that's held in the church among some, and some in our church have been convinced of this. And we've fought it and, 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 and have dealt with it. And it's, it's the lie that somehow Paul uh, misdirected, took Jesus' word in another direction, and the church has kind of been established on Paul, and we need to get back to Jesus. We need to get back to Jesus. Uh, and this text shows you how absolutely stupid and foolish that is. That Jesus, or that Paul and the rest of the apostles did not shrink from teaching the entire counsel of God's word and like Christ were willing to sacrifice their lives for the good of the church. And so in that though, 
we see that this is exactly what elders and shepherds and pastors and deacons are supposed to do. We are supposed to do what Jesus did. We are supposed to do what the prophets and the apostles did, which is give our lives for the sake of the eternal good of the sheep, particularly protecting them from all of the lies and deceptions of the enemies, both outside and within the church. And so Paul provides the great example of what an elder is supposed to do for the church. Paul is headed back from one of his missionary journeys to Jerusalem with stops along the way. One of the stops we see here is in Miletus, where he calls the Ephesian elders to him. Ephesus was near this stop along the coast. So he called the elders of Ephesus. He didn't have the time to go to Ephesus himself. He's already been there. He calls them to himself in order to encourage them because he's about to meet his end. So the Ephesian elders come to him. The elders of the church in Ephesus come to them. him. He reminds them of the good work that he's done as an elder in order to encourage them to keep doing the same. So his purpose is to say goodbye. And to remind them of his examples. And to exert exhort and encourage them to continue to do the good work of eldering. And so this rep text is ripe, like, you know, apples on trees in September and October, with fruit of defining what elders are to do. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at uh, how important this is for your life, and that eldering in the context of the local church, is supposed to be one of the main ways that you become more like Christ. So it's important. This work that Paul declares that elders are to do is the main thing, one of the main things in your life to help you become more like Christ. And so what is that work and why is it so vital? So let's look first that the main place of growth is the everyday ministry of the church and her elders. So we think of a garden. Growing season is around the corner. Some of you have probably already begun planting plants and have them sitting on tables and windows. Is that right? Or maybe under growth lamps. I know you do, Lynn, right? Not yet? Anybody yet? Yeah, a few of you. What? Are you slacking this year, Lynn? What's, yeah. I shouldn't say that. If you want to see a garden, go look at Lynn's. She's got a magnificent garden, but it's, it's coming anyways. So you, where you plant your vegetables, how you tend to them determine the harvest. So the gardener watching over the place, the fertility of the soil, the sunshine, the protection from critters, the water, the time is vital. The same is true in the church. The church is the place that you've been planted to become more like Christ, to grow. The gardeners that God has given you to give you the fertile soil of God's word, to make sure that the light of the word of God is true, to protect you from those that bring harm, to bring the water and uh, the pruning of the gardeners, the shepherds, the elders, is how you grow. So in verse 28, we see that the church is God's. We want to make that very clear. Elders are only under shepherds. The great gardener of the vine of God is 
God. But God assigns elders in the local church as his undergardeners, his under-shepherds to do the hands-on, people-to-people work of, as Pastor Jeff said, leading, feeding, protecting, disciplining, pruning. And this church is precious to God, in verse 28. So very precious that he obtained us by the blood of his only son. Isn't that something? We sometimes forget that about ourselves, don't we? Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. <laughs> Nowhere else in the world do you uh, see such an organism, if you will. We alone belong to God in this unique way. Why? It's not because of anything in us. It's not because of how great we are. It's because of Christ shedding his blood by which he obtained us. And the care of this blood-purchased people that belong to God is given to these overseers by the Holy Spirit. So the place is the local church the care of these precious, beloved people of God is the elders and the pastors. And so let, let this be an encouragement to you. How many of you are satisfied with where you're at in your growth in Christ? And how many of you kind of like, I'm good. None of you, right? You're all disappointed. You're all desiring more. You're all very aware of your sins. And yet here you are in a local church under the preaching of God's word, under the care of an elder, a pastor, and the other elders. And the kind of work that God has given is happening right here and right now, and you're here being obedient to that. Praise God. This is the work right now. But one thing that we often lack is the faith for the time it takes. This kind of work is gardening. It's patient work. It's work that always bears fruit because God is a fruit-bearing God. He's a God of abundance. But the way that he designs it, it's slow. We want it quick. We want it flashy. We want these great times of kind of mountaintop spiritual experiences where we feel like we've taken a big leap. But you always know after the big leap, you're, <laughs> you're right where you were before. Maybe you've leaned a bit forward or taken a... A, 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 a haltering inch step. But God has ordained your growth, your being conformed to the image of Christ to take place in the local church under a specific kind of care, 
of the elders and pastors and deacons, but here we're talking mainly about elders, pastors, and that kind of work takes a lot of time. And so be encouraged to have the faith to give yourselves to this kind of work. Give yourselves to the church and to our care. Give yourselves to faithfully attending those places that we have set up for it. Sunday morning, neighborhood small groups, and maybe in your own home, in your own life, in your own kitchen kind of care. So there's an encouragement to you. You're you're already giving yourself to this. Good work. Keep it up. What is this elder's work? What do we see specifically in these verses that the elders are supposed to do for you? So what I want to do here is set the standard for you. Remember back in the 90s, we talked about paradigms? It's been a while since we've used that word. Thank God. But a paradigm was a a way that you conceived something, and because you had this set conception, it was difficult for you to get beyond it. It limited you in a sense, and so the idea was that you needed that paradigm broken so that it could be expanded or filled in with what you were missing. That can be true according to elders. You have a, a very narrow conception of what you expect the elders to do in your life. Maybe you think it's this, and it's supposed to be that, and so you're consistently disappointed with the elders. Or maybe what you think it is, it's more than that. That's true, but it's not all of it. And so I hope you can listen carefully here because I want to talk about what it is supposed to be in some detail here. What are the elders to do? If you're convinced that your Christian life, your growth that you want depends largely on your giving yourself to this eldering work, to this ministry of the pastors and elders to you, what is that work? This should be of great concern to you and for you, for your children. What is that work? Some of you uh, may have been in churches where your elders were good guys, but they weren't really invasive in your life. They maybe prayed for you. They asked you from time to time how you were doing, and you said good, and they said good, and it was good. And you lied, and they lied, and everybody smiled and went on with their way. But they're well-meaning, and they're godly good men. But they didn't know, or, or like a lot of us, we lacked the courage to actually deal with the stuff of your life that is seen. So yesterday, the elders had a prayer and planning Saturday. We were here from 8 a.m. till 2 p.m. talking about you. (laughs) Talking about what we see in your life and what we're supposed to do about it. Because there are times where we see stuff. We see a child that is rebelling. And our job is to go to you and say, what's going on here? You want help, you need help, but you don't want to ask for it because it's shameful and embarrassing. Or maybe we notice a husband and wife who don't sit next to each other in church. They have a chair between them. 
quick. And, and when they talk to people after the church, the husband's always over here talking and the wife is always over here talking. And there's, no, there's not much warmth. And see, what the elders are supposed to be doing is seeing that. We see it, but do we want to see it? And when we see it, what do we do about it? Because that could be indicating something, couldn't it? That's what gardeners do, right? That's how you look at your plants, right? You look at them for problems. And when you see a problem, what happens if you don't do anything about it? It dies. Or it doesn't bear the fruit it should bear. Because what do you have to do for your garden to not produce any fruit? Nothing. Nothing. What do you do if you want a fruitful garden with a great yield? A lot of knees on the dirt, hands in the mud, careful attention, pruning, watering, feeding, protecting work. And that's what we see in this text. Before I get to that, one more thing. This takes trust, doesn't it? This kind of work that I'm talking about takes real trust. The elders must earn your trust. And you must give it when it's rightfully earned. How do elders build trust? Well, they should be godly. First Peter 5, we need to serve the church as an example of godliness. The qualifications in First Timothy 3 of being an elder is that he is above reproach. You should be able to observe his life and see an example of a godly man. Now, it doesn't mean a sinless man. Elders will sin and they'll sin against you and they'll disappoint you. But an elder should earn your trust by being an example of a godly man. I think you have that. I know you have that in your elders here. Second, they should earn your trust by caring for you. That you know they care about you. Not that they just say they care about you, but that they actually do care about you. Now, there are times where the kind of care you expect isn't always, or some, and it's, you're disappointed. There are some times where the kind of care that is given you don't want, and so you're disappointed. But those things notwithstanding, those disappointments, which will always happen in every church with all the elders and all the people consistently, those kind of things that happen in your marriage on a daily basis, in your household on a daily basis, and at your workplace on a daily basis, that hopefully decent, mature people either just overlook and forget or talk to each other about and let you know the disappointments and deal with it, those things notwithstanding, I think you have a church with elders who actually do care for you, who are there for you, who contact you. Another way that the elders can build, build trust is by telling the truth. By being open and honest with the church about the good and the bad. Not hiding stuff. When they propose bylaw <laughs> Revisions, they tell you why and what for and take a lot of time to listen. Why am I bringing that up? Because I think we've done that. I'm sure there's ways we could have done better. 
We, we don't hide things. And ultimately, underneath that, the elders stick to God's word. That they tell the truth of God's word. They, as Paul says here, speak the whole counsel of God. They don't skip difficult parts. They, they tell the truth. And ultimately, that's because they fear God more than you. They fear God more than disappointing you. Now, there are other ways we can build trust. But this does take trust. This isn't a demand from elders to welcome us into your life. This is something that has to be earned. And so where we as elders and pastors have failed you, please do forgive us. And, and where that failure is very difficult for you to get over, please just come and tell us. Really, I promise you, you will meet with humbly listening. Humbly listening. We might not agree, Likely we will because we, we really do know that there are ways that we fail, ways that we've sinned, ways that we have not met your expectations, and we would like to know those so that we can get through them and build trust so that we can care for you, which is absolutely vital to your spiritual growth. Okay? There's one thing I want you to take from this sermon. It's that. It is absolutely vital to your spiritual life, this elder care. But what is going on with this trust is that this elders and pastors in local churches are often under attack. This, this kind of trust, this kind of welcoming, this elder care, this very intimate elder care, this trust is under attack. We live in a day where our culture is not merely hostile to authority, but especially to male leadership. Our world, our country, our culture despises male leadership and falls all over itself to exalt female leadership over male leadership. Women do have leadership and do need to exercise it. But in the church, the primary leadership, headship, authority is given to men and our culture hates that. And so many churches fall all over themselves to show how progressive and loving they are by showing all of the women that they have and all of the leadership to the great detriment of all of the men. And so there is often in many churches a great void of any kind of male leadership, which means any kind of protection, any kind of care. And so for you to think that that doesn't affect you is a lie. This is the air we breathe. This is the water we swim in in our day. And then... There have been many of you who have been greatly harmed by male leadership. You've been hurt. You've been lied to. You've been abused verbally, physically, sexually. You've had husbands who haven't provided for you. Sons who have maligned you. 
And so you have a, a right fear of men in leadership. And this affects how elders and pastors relate to you. And then you have the reality that because of sin, because sin is rooted in pride, and pride always bucks any kind of leadership and headship and authority, elders within the local church are often lied about and gossiped about and slandered and maligned, and it, un- it erodes the kind of trust that is needed for this work to happen. And if you don't think that happens here, it happens. Um, and I bring that up because just it needs a, it should it shouldn't happen among God's people. I have been a part of, of churches where, for years, m- me as a pastor have been lied about and slandered, and all in order to tell the sheep not to trust the pastor, not to trust the elders, to get people to. Um, uh, gather against elder pastoral care and leadership. It is rampant in the church of Jesus Christ. And so you should always be very wary of anyone who would speak to you privately behind the back of leadership negatively about them. Now, there are some times when leaders sin and refuse to deal with it. And that does need to be dealt with by the church if the leaders aren't willing to deal with the sin of the leaders. And so I'm not saying that as an exhaustive condemnation of speaking bad about leaders behind it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? You've been in those conversations You do it at work. What else is the lunchroom for but to slander and malign your superiors? (laughs) It doesn't happen at Honey Hanson. Hanson's honey, though. If you don't know, Chris employs his father-in-law. And his father-in-law has never had a negative word to say about Chris. Ever. (laughs) Complaints always go up. We have to be very careful about this in the church of Jesus Christ because we're undercutting the very thing that God has given us for the health and vitality of his people. So the elders and congregations must trust each other. It's vital people. The elders must give themselves to the people and be trustworthy and the people have to give their hearts to the leaders. You have to have faith for this work. And if we can... This kind of, let me, let me show you the fruit of it. Look at verse 37, 36 and 37. Here's the fruit, the relationship of an elder Paul who worked with sheep, who are other elders. Here's a shepherd of shepherds. This is the kind of beautiful, intimate fruit. When they had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part and they embraced Paul and kissed him. Isn't that beautiful? There is nothing your elders of this church want more than this kind of relationship with you. Because we've given our lives for you and you've given your hearts to us. That's the kind of fruit 
Some of you had fathers like this, right? That when you left for college or you got married or your father passed, you had this kind of a parting of sweet sorrow because it was so good. And your father's care and love and giving of himself was so pure and good, not not without sin, but it was this. And then some of you have experienced the opposite, but this is the fruit of that. And so what does it require of you? It requires of you to give us your hearts. Like these Ephesian elders gave theirs to Paul. It requires of you to give us yourself, to give yourself to us. It's scary. We're not sufficient for this. But this is how God has set up the church of Jesus Christ. For you to give yourselves to us. What doesn't that mean? That doesn't mean that everything we say is inerrant. Paul commends the... um, Bereans in Acts for checking what he said against the word of God. You need to do that. That's not what I mean there. I mean that you love us, that you pray for us, that you accept our involvement in your life even when you don't want it and don't like it and chafe under it, that you speak well of us to each other. That's almost all introduction. What is the work? (laughs) Isn't that good, though? Don't you want that? Don't you want that with your father and people at work and us? Don't you want that? So what's the work? Look at verses 20 and 27. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, verse 27. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The word shrink there means to keep silent, to avoid. Gregory the Great, an early pastor elder in the church, the man is an enemy to his redeemer who on the strength of the good works he performs desires to be loved by the church more than Christ. The reason that elders and pastors shrink from telling you everything in God's word is because they care more about what you think of them than what God says. So the problem that the elders and pastors will often have isn't what they say, but what they don't say. Paul refused to do that. And you'll notice that he refused to to shrink from declaring both in the public worship and in the private home. He declared all of the truth of God's word, both in public and in private personal. So elders and pastors should teach and preach everything, not skipping over those parts that could cause conflict. And then, when they see sin in your lives, they should come to your home or come to you personally and bring God's word to bear there too. That's the work of an elder in some. Now, it is Christ in heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit 
that brings his word powerfully to affect change in you. This power does not lie in me or in our elders. We are tools in the hands of God. We are vessels. There is nothing about us that, you know, makes this effective. Of course, we need to be godly. We need to be prayerful and dependent on him. But it's God's power. The change that happens in your life is God. But this kind of care is intimate, patient doctor care. It's very intimate. No one has a good doctor who isn't willing to ask you very difficult questions. And often perform painful, difficult work in your life to get you to be better. Hey, Kurt, what, what was your title? What was your job? Physical therapy. Did people like you all the time? You had to cause pain, very intimate pain. You had to push pressure on specific parts of the body that were hurt because you knew what they didn't know, right? And if you didn't put the pressure there and cause pain, what would happen? It wouldn't change. It'd get worse, right? That's what elders do. They're supposed to push on tender spots that cause you to go ouch and shrink back. And then they're supposed to push again and harder because they love you. Because they know if you don't do anything about it, if you just let it go, it's going to disfigure you and disable you and maybe destroy you. That's what Paul refused to do. And they loved him for it, but it cost him. And so consider this work among the few kinds of sheep that are in every church. Every church has straying sheep. Straying sheep typically don't just leave worship first. They stop giving. They stop their finances first. And they stop giving their hearts to the people and to the church. And then they stop showing up regularly at worship and small group. And they stray. And there's all kinds of reasons for it. It could be disappointment with a pastor, an elder, or somebody in the church. It could be somebody said something. It could be that they're often just convicted of sin. And they convince themselves that the church is harsh and saying harsh things and they need to go. But they're straying. What should the elders do for them? Go after them. We go after straying sheep. We don't let straying sheep just go. We write them a letter. We send them calls. We show up at their workplace when they won't answer our phone calls or respond to our letters. Because we go after straying sheep. Why? Because they're straying. And do you know what happens to the sheep outside of the pen? Right? And then, aside from straying sheep, you often have injured or weak sheep. Do you have faith for me to call some of you weak? Paul says that there are weak believers in the church. They're injured. They're hurt. And maybe because of their own sin, it Maybe because of the sin of somebody else. It may be because of life circumstances that really isn't due to specific sin, but they're hurt. They're here. 
but they're hurt and they're wounded and they're weak and they're vulnerable. What do the elders do there? Well, they do what a doctor does. They diagnose. They ask questions. One of my favorite dead pastors is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a pastor in England. He was a doctor, a very preeminent nationwide known doctor before he became a pastor. And typically Sundays after church, he would wait on people as they came into him with their problems. And he would only spend a few minutes with these person because he was a doctor. And it wasn't chit-chatty. They would tell him his problem. He would give a quick diagnosis and tell him what to do and then he'd move on to the next one. He was really good at it. And he was almost always right. If you want a good book to read by him, read Spiritual Depression. It's incredible. If you're feeling spiritually down and under a cloud, it's the best thing you'll read. But that's what pastors and elders do for weak, injured sheep. We listen with sympathy. But we have to get in there. And then we offer cures. We offer help. We offer biblical instruction and correction and solution. Then you have healthy sheep. They aren't straying. They have their stuff. But they're not weak and injured. and They're just doing all right. They're confessing their sin. They mostly have a happy marriage, except for Thursdays and Fridays when they're tired. And they come to worship. They sing God's praises. They are healthy. They're in Scripture, whatever. They're healthy. What, what do shepherds do for them? Well, we feed them. We try to give them a proper mixture of grace and law, of encouragement and rebuke. This is, by the way, something that really irritates a lot of people. You're too much law. You're too much grace. Why don't you be a little harder? Why don't you ease up a bit? We're always trying to get the feed mixture right. You try and do it if you think you're so good at it. How about that? Otherwise, just say thanks. I don't know if you know this, but I, I might know a little bit more about preaching than you. I could be wrong. That's probably prideful to say. But you know a little bit more about your business than I do, and I don't come to your shop and say, you should probably think about doing it this way. <laughs> Aren't we so proud? Don't we always know better than everybody else? All right. But this is what we do for healthy sheep. We pray for them. We feed them. When we see stuff in their life, we talk to them and we expect them to handle it maturely. And we expect the healthy sheep to be helping the weak and injured and straying sheep. And these kind of healthy sheep who were once injured and weak and maybe straying, we eventually, hopefully, as they mature and become examples, some of them we ask to be deacons and elders and church mothers we need them. And the church has all of them. And I think you see why this matters so much. But just real quickly, look at verses 29 and 30. Fierce wolves 
without and within. Conflict. Fierce. They won't spare the flock. They speak twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. They say twisted things that we don't need to confess sin anymore. We're forgiven in Jesus. You don't need to confess sin. Why did people say things like that? To draw disciples after themselves. The reason that this is so important is because of sin, conflict. There's always two kinds of conflict in every local church. Bad conflict and good conflict. Bad conflict is the result of, we've been preaching in Corinth, Corinthians, right? The bad kind of conflict there is a result of sin and plot, pride and gossip and slander and disrespect and lovelessness. That's bad conflict. That's, that's yucky conflict. That's really disheartening. Ugh. You know what? We don't have much of that here right now. It's really blessed. It's really, really, really nice. I've been in churches where for years that's all you had. Lovelessness and slander and gossip and malicious and oh, it's just awful. You've been in church like that. You've told me about it. It's death. That kind of stuff must be dealt with in church discipline often. You have to deal with the people doing the yucky stuff. Titus 3.10, after a person, as for a person who stirs up division, warm them once and twice, they have nothing more to do with them. Just kick them out. Because <laughs> that bad kind of conflict is awful. But then you have good conflict in the church. What do I mean by good conflict? I mean the kind of the ongoing gracious argument and debate about doctrine and church practice. You have convictions, another person has other convictions, and you talk about it, and you disagree with each other, and you get maybe a little upset sometimes, but it's iron sharpening iron. It's people who love each other, they're committed to each other, but they, we need that kind of conflict because it helps us get to truth. It helps people get away from error to truth. It's the kind of conflict that our world has no stomach for, no ability for almost anymore. It's a, it's a wisdom to understand, is this point important? Is it central to the gospel? Is this a hill I need to die on or something that I can just, we can be okay with being different? It's brotherly. The worst thing that any local church can do and any elders in local church do is to avoid the conflict. Paul tells them to pay careful attention to themselves and to the flock because of the conflict. They have to deal with it. Verse 31, they have to be alert. They have to deal with it. John Calvin said, Cursed be the peace that is obtained at so great a cost that there is lost to us the doctrine of Christ by which alone we grow together into a godly and holy unity. Cursed be the peace that is obtained by avoiding conflict. False peace. The cost is the doctrine of Christ. The result will inevitably be the destruction of the church. But 
Blessed be the peace that is obtained as we fight for truth and fight against wolves and care for the church of Christ, which alone grows us into a godly and holy unity. This is the work of elders and pastors. This is the work of your elders and pastors. A number of years ago at Pine Grove Community Church, long before I was here, I've been told, and this is true, our church had some rot in its governance. Some people were exercising wrong authority, harmful to sheep. And one of our elders was called onto the elder board and saw it and fought it. For years. Hardly anybody in the church maybe knew about it, but he fought it by himself often and killed it. And one of the reasons we have the kind of church we have today is because of that. Because he was an elder. And he fought some wolves, well-meaning wolves, well-intentioned wolves, but who were wrong. And so, we need faith for this, don't we? We need you to give us your hearts And we need you as men and women to grow, to become these kind of church fathers and church mothers in this church. And we need to raise your children to have the courage and love for this kind of fight. Because as you know, it's not going to get any easier. Paul, let me just close with this. He commends us to the to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build us up and give us an inheritance among those who are sanctified. That's the reward for this work. Isn't that good? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the elders and pastors of this church who have done often thankless, life-giving, hard work. We ask for grace to be those kind of men and women here today. We ask that your sheep would give us their hearts and that you would continue to give the kind of godly, holy unity that is a result of that kind, this kind of shepherding work. Give us the faith for it. Give us the strength for it. Add workers to the harvest for it. Please, oh God, protect us from wolves. Help us to see what we need to see and have the faith to act on it in godly, loving ways. And so, God, help us as your shepherds to love your sheep that belong to you, that have been purchased by the blood of your son for their eternal good. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge is this. You've heard me say repeatedly throughout the sermon, uh, and I'm going to urge it again. Please give us your hearts as pastors and elders and deacons. We do love you sincerely. We pray for you. We want to give ourselves for you. We do realize our shortcomings, our failures, and the sins. Um, but we are motivated by love for you. And so please continue to and do give us your hearts. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself 
and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you guys.